Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. This is Rumors of Instinct. Namaste and Shalom, and thank you all very sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Subscribers, listeners, supporters, new and old, if you have been here from the first days, if you this is your first, um, you know, episode, encounter, experience with the Rumors of Instinct podcast, and the Rumors of Instinct um, content, you know, thank you all very much um, for, for you know, having the curiosity to, uh, you know, check it out and everything and to listen. I am humbled and I am extremely um, grateful for the support for the numbers as they continue to rise in viewership and highly highly recommend you guys check out the link tree which i'm going to be posting in the description box below for this episode to uh follow it to follow my social media accounts which the flagship is at rumors of instinct all one word um that's the official instagram account for this uh podcast and for myself then you also can check out the youtube channel rumors of instinct podcast youtube for videos archived episodes that I have been uh, making full-time since 2020. And I would greatly appreciate everyone to go back, you know, and check out that library and give those videos some views and everything. Um, let me know what you think. But uh, all that material is also archived in the podcast in the 80-plus episodes that are currently on there, which will always rise. So if you're listening to this and the episode counts much, much higher, then you know that when the time of this recording it was at 88 episodes so go back check out those archived episodes check out those past episodes uh lots of good material library of information there are volumes of it my own personal experience and theories that i've come up you know about others so check out those are archived episodes in the library um whether you're listening to this on spotify amazon podcast google podcast overcast radio public uh you know, what have you, the, the myriad, Himalaya, whatever, whatever directory is uh, your favorite. Check out those episodes um, listed under my banner. So today we're going to be speaking about the history of the Vedas. And this will be another lesson in their continuing ongoing series to understand the scholarly wealth of information that the Vedas uh, has, being that it's the user manual for humanity as interpreted by many scholars and is also really incredibly ancient chronologically except especially to mainstream academia where existential issues and issues of human human virtues issues of spirituality and um, cosmic understanding in life seem to be attributed to modern sensibilities, modern men, the latest of men, the most progressive of men, these being some of the most ancient uh, written documents prove that the ultimate expression of humanity isn't sensual to a place and time or dictated to a progress or momentum of a civilization wherein the newest members of that civilization are granted uh, the privilege of reaching heights 
never before dreamed or reached by the previous generations of that civilization. In fact, it seems to be that the virtues and the blessings of a individual are at times greater than any civilization or any long-term, bigger-picture type uh, society because the individual can reach levels of spiritual ascendancy and mastery far, far easier alone than by the, following the traditions or following the educations of his neighbors and his family and his friends um, that make up their tribe, you know, that to actually, uh, you know, see above the the chaos, they have to kind of like leave the tribe, leave that, leave that um, primitive mindset that is living in a society, living in a city, and kind of venture forward into the wilderness of their own thoughts of being isolated and, you know, um, having to be independent, having to survive on their own. Um, and also, it seems to be whatever is old is new again, in which these tenets of reaching a rarefied and more golden form of, more valuable form of humanity, an ethereal form, a spiritual form of humanity, um, seems to have been the original, you know, mindset of the Indo-Aryan or the Indo-European, the, uh, Aryan Indian, the mountain, uh, mountains of Nibet, and Nepal and Tibet, the followers of the Pleiades and, um, you know, the star beings, the demigods themselves, the divine, their teachings far surpass our teachings and answer many questions which have fallen into the realm of unanswerable mysteries uh, because of their existential nature in Western society newer society, more modern society, than they might have ever dreamed about, because if they were 10,000 years prior to us, with these answers, the fundamental logic would be that we would progress to asking questions without ever losing the education that we had previously you know, gained and developed in creating these books, these Vedas, these um, lessons, and that the wisdom would be built on its, itself, like bricks building a wall or bricks building a tower, and that you wouldn't necessarily need to always rebuild the structure from the very foundation forward with each new person you would each live inside the house the, the foundation and the walls and the bricks were already laid the temple would be built and thus not every generation would have to return to the to the to the site of the temple and rebuild it to make sure it was uh you know still still a functioning temple Unfortunately, that does seem to be the situation currently we're in, if you want to believe the Maya that we live in, the, the false illusion of the matrix of this reality, is that this world seems to be ever more divorced from reality, and that the ancient scriptures, the ancient writings, are always proven to be correct, 
because we come from places of that divorce, of that uh, illegitimacy, of that outsider nature of our very insider culture. Having been uninitiated uh, within our society, having been um, exiled from temples within our society due to our own profanities and due to the essential, like, uh, invisible caste system that's developing within our society, within our modern Western world, in which spiritual castes are considered apart from other functioning labor castes and it's not a separation due to specialization but ultimately a kind of universal uh, recognition and respect it is quite the opposite it's a special it's a separation due to a um, forced distancing and a forced um, it's a forced separation it's, it's not a voluntary one. It's society saying that the spiritual caste should not interfere or influence the labor castes because that's unnecessary uh, complications in the big, bigger picture, the bigger, bigger streamlining of society. That spiritual caste should not uh, uh, be involved with political castes because there's a separation of church and state, which is considered a more um, idealistic, intellectualized way of running societies, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, instead of following this path in which I, as a neophyte into something, would then say I am an, a, a devotee of that subject because I show an interest in it, let us... Remember that our interests are at first scholarly and critically based. They're objectively based. And one of the things personally that Rumors of Instinct uh, likes to do when validating subjects of belief and, you know, interpretation of reality, of the esoteric and the occult and the religious, the metaphysical is to see its history, to see where exactly it was grounded on and to see the sociology of the people that created it. Having kind of gone over that in the last few videos on the subject, in the last few episodes about the subject, uh, in the last other moon cycles, I find it's appropriate now to full, fully, fully hit the history books and see the actual academic and objective history of these writings. Um, and the interpretations that the modern present-day scholars have for these historical realities, like what, how they view it in their historical context, instead of a foreigner trying to deduce it from a foreign culture. Um, how does someone who was born in that culture deduce their own historical writings and that those writings' importance on their now modern lives, their now present-day lives, this new current generation's lives? We are also going to be kind of paying heed and um, a respect to the full moon. This is a Scorpio full moon. This is a moon that I have heard over several different respected sources be called the death moon. There's a lot of death energies. There were energies entering our Earth uh, magnetosphere and a form of a tunnel over the last few nights. 
imbuing our world with um, lunar energies, with cosmic energies, um, at levels rarely seen, you know, for entire years in some instances. So there's no coincidence if you are feeling this vibe, if you're feeling it, a sense of the world being reborn or changed, know that because death is being celebrated and having a lot of influence through this full moon, um, the April 27th full moon, or the April 26th full moon, sorry, that you are not alone and a lot of people, especially Scorpios, especially people of the, of, um, that sign are being, um, impacted very heavily, being absolutely, uh, supercharged. Now we're going to be going into several videos that I have, several video essays, sorry, that I found online from indigenous teachers. Uh, don't worry. Uh, it's all in English, even though the words and the phrases are very difficult to, to, you know, um, enunciate and express in, for, with my own tongue uh, because I'm a lazy foreign language speaker. Um, there is no real language barrier and no real cultural barrier that needs to be minded. You should hit the ground running and all you have to do is open up your ears and listen to the audio that I have already selected for you to hear the history and the organization and the classification of these Vedas um, and how they relate to ancient Hindu history, ancient Indian history, and uh, ancient human history. Because those subjects are not divided amongst, they're not separated. Those are all the same subjects. So I hope everyone out there in dreamland, uh, you know, you enjoy this lesson as it's educating you. And if you don't find this subject enjoyable, at least allow yourself to be educated. You know, like you have to bite the bullet and just allow yourself to be educated on foreign cultures and other cultures. Because they're not foreign cultures. These are human cultures. This is earth culture. This is earth religion. This is earth spirituality. This is earth history. This is as much human history as it is earth history. And if you are wanting to focus on the future and focus on the communion with the extraterrestrial, then you have to realize that there is no difference between the communion with the extraterrestrial, the CE5 event, the close encounter of the fifth kind event, and a communication with the divine, a reaching out and attempting to communicate with the spiritual, with the astral, with the cosmic, as well as you have to have roots, deep, deep roots in your own species, in your own uh, civilization, in your own um, intellectual wealth and traditions for you to be able to not only communicate on an equal level filled with these extraterrestrials, but also on a spiritual level or also on a traditional historical importance level. I say as one person being able to offer your own personal expertise and insight and history as a gift 
you know, however humble as it is, uh, you know, the little drummer boy just with, with his drums to play, uh, that, that earth song, that salt of the earth song has to fundamentally be rooted in the earth. It has to be firmly rooted into the history of the species and this world. As much as I focus on the extraplanetary and the future and the secret space program and the top secret reality, uh, you know, that we all share, a equal big part of what I'm, my mission is, is to kind of remember and to, re to keep alive the history that we are all very busy at forgetting, very busy at uh, moving, moving away from, moving past. Uh, as we race headlong to what we think is the secret of our existence, which is this future, which is this end goal. But reality is um, you can never truly escape it because you can't gain entry into the future without firmly mastering the past. So the more we run away from the past, uh, the, it's just, it's ironically, the, the greater the distance we're going to need to turn around and backtrack until we get to the lessons that we abandoned then burden those then then carry those burdens shoulder those burdens uh you know deal with that karma of our own history of, of our own choices upon forgetting it to relearn those things and then to carry that into the future as well we'll never truly be able to escape it we have to master it and then to carry it forward so all the agnostics and atheists who listen to the Secret Space Program talks of mine, while I appreciate your support, while I appreciate your views, understand that there is no difference, difference between ancient and traditional um, human spirituality and spiritual beliefs with that of the reality of extraterrestrials and the reality of the Secret Space Program, the Cosmic uh, Order, the Galactic Light Federation, as well as the necessity to be a master of culture, regardless of your views on the, the nature of the human soul, the nature of human spirituality. You do not have to have a faith in a deity to have a mastery of human society and civilization and culture from a sociological standpoint. But you do have to know that that was why they were thinking about it. The experience, the, the quote-unquote capital E experience, of the other, the shamanic right, created in our ultimate idea of right and wrong ethical society. So to understand ourselves as intellectuals, as spiritual animals that have lifted ourselves from the earth and now seek to join the stars, we have to realize that upon lifting ourselves from the earth and seeing you know ourselves in the future we are bringing the earth we are bringing those roots with us and it's not man entering a rocket and blasting away it's a tree growing into the night sky and right while our future and while our destiny is in this night sky this starry sky our roots will still be deeply deeply reaching into the core of the human world the earth 
that we were given. So thank you all very much uh, for your patience. You know, thank you for joining me on this full moon show. This is a bit of a series that I'm, I'm running and having to run solo and independently now. I thank you very much. I thank you for your patience. This is something that is not my strongest uh, field of expertise and study, but that which I feel is equally important, if not to an even greater degree of importance than I'm giving it, to understanding the realities, the natures, the physiologies, the interconnected worlds and futures of humanity and extraterrestrial life, humanity, extraterrestrial cultures, civilizations, as we become a interplanetary uh, cosmic species, uh, you know, dealing with the Galactic Federation, Federation with light, dealing with the Orion Draco, dealing with the Ashtar High Command, these species which have their own formidable mental and spiritual uh, traditions that they master and that they bring along as well as you can see these are trees now joining into a forest and although you only see the canopies you only see the trunks the roots are actually interconnected and knotted together and it ties the individual trees together into one shared forest, one shared jungle of reality, of life. So thank you all very much. I will be playing these videos in succession, and hopefully everyone will have the patience to, you know, listen to them, to educate themselves on it, and then to, uh, you know, incorporate that, think about that throughout their day, meditate on these points. Because just hearing it, you know, it might take multiple times to listen to it. It might be something that you're you're wanting to just turn off immediately. But as long as you respect the material enough to listen to it and to think about it, to contemplate it, you will find that what I'm offering you is a door that will lead you into a better world. So thank you all very much. Here are here is the histories of the Vedas done by several different scholars in different video essays and different audio essays um, that will serve as history lessons for the four books of the Vedas and their construction and of course the context to which of the information that they bring. So thank you all very much uh, for hearing this. This is going to be probably the last dry academic outsider point of view. I will go into the next Vedic episode by actually playing the uh, the books of the Vedas in English and in their original language so that you can understand the poetry of it and this will be an education process for, our, for us both. I am learning this as much as you guys are, as much as I'm trying to teach. I am learning these lessons literally the days before um, these episodes air. We are learning together. And this is what makes this episode so great. This is what makes this whole process so exciting for me. Is that we are learning together. We are seeing new information together. So thank you very much. Namaste and Shalom. Seeds of learning. The Ashtadashi Vidyasthanas. 
we shall know one by one and first comes the vedic lore the four vedas as often called as drik yajus saman and atharvan we know that veda in general in singular is the knowledge absolute and its manifestation rather the earliest manifestation is in the form of the four vedas and we have to be very proud of because in indian system all these things are intact even today and it's the most intangible sources even the smithsonian institutions have declared it so and we have the graceful blissful responsibility of restoring propagating and then perpetuating for the future generation now we shall look at the four vedas one by one but we cannot go to the complete details because in the ajurveda itself we have a beautiful phrase called ananta vai vedaha vedas are infinite they are infinitely large and magnificent within our short span of time we shall look into it as far as possible the word rik literally means verse padyam then we have yajus yajus also means gadyam and then we have the saman meaning the song and atharvan the name goes because of the seer who saw that atharvan literally means the god of fire the mystic fire and also the saint who realized that atharvan why we have the rik yajus saman the verse prose and song feature because rigveda is completely made of the verses the chandobadha form that's why it is called rigveda and then we have ajurveda which is mainly meant for the prose the gamut of ajurveda is comprised of prose passages though there here and there verses in majority it is made of prose and samaveda completely comprises the songs the tunes of samaveda are entirely based on the lyrics of rigveda rigveda is the lyric based on which samaveda has given the tune it means the song form of samaveda has its basis in the verses of rigveda then we have the atharvan which has all these three there are one or two samans and some of the yajus or the prose passages are there majority are in the form of verses now we shall see why they are named so because any literature will have these three features no literature is beyond the scope of verse prose and song so any language can take only these three forms padyam gadyam geetam tridha vibhaktam sahityam that's so we have the recorded information in the veda this is about the structure of it now we shall go to the content of it rigveda mainly has devotional hymns and ajurveda has the application of devotional hymns with respect to rituals and in samaveda we have deep yearnings with sincerating music and in atharvaveda we have the application both for religious and secular purposes to put it in other way rigveda has complete details regarding bhakti in the form of devotional hymns and ajurveda adopting that develops into karma and in samaveda we have upasana or dhyana and in atharvaveda we have all the three along with loka vyavahara the worldly wisdom every veda has four parts 
ಋಗ್ವೇದ ಯಜುರ್ವೇದ ಸಾಮವೇದ ಅಂಡ್ ಅಥರ್ವೇದ ದೋ ದೇ ಆರ್ ಫೋರ್ ಇನ್ ನಂಬರ್ ದೇ ಬಿಕಮ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ಟೀನ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಇಂಟರ್ನಲ್ ಸಬ್ ಡಿವಿಜನ್ ದೇ ಆರ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ ಆರಣ್ಯಕ ಅಂಡ್ ಉಪನಿಷತ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ವೆಲ್ ಪ್ಲೇಸ್ಡ್ ಕಂಪೋಡಿಯಮ್ಸ್ ಇಂಟ್ಯಾಕ್ಟ್ ದೇ ಆರ್ ಫೋರ್ ಇನ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಋಕ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಯುಜ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಸಾಮ ಸಂಹಿತ ಅಂಡ್ ಅಥರ್ವ ಸಂಹಿತ ಅಗೇನ್ ದೇರ್ ಆರ್ ಮೆನಿ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಶಾಖಾಸ್ ಋಗ್ವೇದ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಟೂ ಶಾಖಾಸ್ ಶಾಕಲ ಅಂಡ್ ಬಾಷ್ಕಲ ಯಜುರ್ವೇದ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಮೆನಿ ಡ್ಯೂರಿಂಗ್ ದ ಟೈಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ ವ್ಯಾಡ್ ಆಸ್ ಮೆನಿ ಆಸ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಒನ್ ಶಾಖಾಸ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಟೂ ತೌಸಂಡ್ ಟೂ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ನೌ ಓನ್ಲಿ ಫ್ಯೂ ಶಾಖಾಸ್ ಆರ್ ರಿಮೇನಿಂಗ್ ದ ಮೇನ್ ಟೂ ಶಾಖಾಸ್ ಆರ್ ಶುಕ್ಲ ಅಂಡ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶುಕ್ಲ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ದ ಡಿವಿಷನ್ ವೇರ್ ದ ರಿಚುಲಿಸ್ಟಿಕ್ ಪೋರ್ಷನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಡಿವೋಷನಲ್ ಪೋರ್ಷನ್ ಆರ್ ಕ್ಲಿಯರ್ಲಿ ಡಿವೈಡೆಡ್ ಇನ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ದೇ ಅಮಾಲ್ಕುಮೇಟ್ ದೇ ಕಂಬೈನ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ದೇ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ಅನ್ ಅಲಾಯ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ರಾದರ್ ಓಲ್ಡರ್ ಸಿಸ್ಟಮ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಇನ್ ಶುಕ್ಲಯಜುರ್ವೇದ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟೂ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಕಾಂಡ್ವಾ ಅಂಡ್ ಮಾಧ್ಯಂದಿನ ಇನ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣಯಜುರ್ವೇದ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ತೈತ್ತಿರೀಯ ಕಠ ಕಪಿಷ್ಠಿಲ ಅಂಡ್ ಮೈತ್ರಾಯಣ ಟೋಟಲಿ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಇನ್ ಯಜುರ್ವೇದ ಇನ್ ಸಾಮವೇದ ಅರ್ಲಿಯರ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ಒನ್ ಥೌಸಂಡ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಸಹಸ್ರವರ್ತ್ಮಾ ಸಾಮವೇದ ಬಟ್ ನೌ ಅನ್ಫಾರ್ಚುನೇಟ್ಲಿ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಲೆಫ್ಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಓನ್ಲಿ ತ್ರೀ ಒನ್ ಈಸ್ ಕೌತುಮ ದಿ ಅದರ್ ಒನ್ ಈಸ್ ರಾಣಾಯಣೀಯ ಅಂಡ್ ದಿ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಒನ್ ವಿಚ್ ಈಸ್ ಇನ್ ಸಮ್ ಪಾಕೆಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಗುಜರಾತ್ ವೆರಿ ಸ್ಮಾಲ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಜೈಮಿನೀಯ ಋಗ್ವೇದ ಅರ್ಲಿಯರ್ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಒನ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ನೌ ಓನ್ಲಿ ಟೂ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಆರ್ ರಿಮೇನಿಂಗ್ ಅಥರ್ವೇದ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ನೈನ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಡ್ಯೂರಿಂಗ್ ದ ಟೈಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ ಅಂಡ್ ನೌ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಓನ್ಲಿ ಒನ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚ್ ವೆರಿ ರೀಸೆಂಟ್ಲಿ ವಿ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಒನ್ ಮೋರ್ ಬ್ರಾಂಚ್ ದಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಪೈಪಲಾದ ಅಂಡ್ ನೌ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಲಿಫ್ಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಓನ್ಲಿ ಒನ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಶೌನಕೀಯ ವಾಟ್ ಐ ಮೀನ್ ಬೈ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ದ ವೇ ಆಫ್ ರೆಸಿಟೇಷನ್ ದ ವೇ ಆಫ್ ಓರಲ್ ರೆಸ್ಟೋರೇಷನ್ ದ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ಆರ್ ಇಂಟ್ಯಾಕ್ಟ್ ಬಟ್ ದ ಓರಲ್ ಟ್ರೆಡಿಷನ್ ಈಸ್ ಕಂಪ್ಲೀಟ್ಲಿ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಇನ್ ಮೆನಿ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಫಾರ್ಚುನೇಟ್ಲಿ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಗುಡ್ ಆಫೀಸಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಕಂಚಿ ಪರಮಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಪೂಜ್ಯಶ್ರೀ ಚಂದ್ರಶೇಖರ್ ಇಂಡ ಸರಸ್ವತಿ ಸ್ವಾಮೀಜಿ ಮೆನಿ ಬ್ರಾಂಚಸ್ ಆಫ್ ವೇದಾಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ರೆಸ್ಟೋರ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ಓರಲ್ ಟ್ರೆಡಿಷನ್ ದೆನ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ದಿ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣಾಸ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಈಸ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಡೀಟೇಲ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಸಂಹಿತ ಆರ್ ಎಲಾಬರೇಟೆಡ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಕಾಮೆಂಟೆಡ್ ಅಪಾನ್ ಇನ್ ದಿ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣಾಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ವೈ ದಿ ನೇಮ್ ಗೋಸ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ನೋ ವೇ ಕನೆಕ್ಟೆಡ್ ವಿತ್ ದಿ ಕಾಸ್ಟ್ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಇನ್ ದಿ ಫೋಲ್ ಗ್ಯಾಮೆಟ್ ಆಫ್ ವೇದಿಕ್ ಲಿಟ್ರೇಚರ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ವೇದ the great knowledge the knowledge of the absolute brahman and the third branch or the third division is called aranyaka means which is meant for the meditative purposes samhita and brahmanas were practiced in the villages and cities while the aranyakas were practiced by people something like the senior citizens who used to withdraw from the active life and go inwardly and they had a bridge course towards the upanishad and the bridging course may be called as the aranyaka and then lastly we have the upanishads in the upanishads close proximity with the master is established that is the literal meaning of it upa nishadyate yena iti upanishad the student or the disciple sits very close to the master and listens with rapt attention the essence of knowledge the essence of wisdom and the heart of the vedas and realizes one's own self and that's why it is called upanishad shankaracharya 
coming to the krishna yajurveda lore we have taittiriya brahmana and in the shukla yajurveda we have shatavada brahmana coming to the samveda we have many brahmanas tandya maha brahmana panchavimsha brahmana shadvimsha brahmana jaiminiya brahmana vamsha brahmana like that and in the atharveda we have one brahmana called gopata brahmana coming to the aranyakas in the rigveda again we have aitreya and kaushitaki aranyakas in the yajurveda we have taittiriya aranyaka and in the shukla yajurveda the aranyaka is attached to the brahmana or to the upanishads and so it is called bradaranyaka it is once again the combined form of brahmana upanishad or aranyaka and upanishad then we have in the samveda we don't have any aranyakas it's very unfortunate thing likewise even in the atharva veda we don't have any aranyakas coming to the upanishads there are many number of upanishads available as many as 108 or even 1008 upanishads are available but the most important or the major upanishads are 10 to 14 in number isha kena katha prashna mundaka mandukya aitreya taittiriya chandogya and bradaranyaka these are the 10 well known upanishads the great acharyas like shankara and madhva and even in the tradition of ramanuja like ranga ramanuja have commented upon all these 10 upanishads and even many more people have commented on these 10 but there are few more upanishads which are very important like this of them mahanarayana upanishad maitrayani upanishad kaushitaki upanishad and shvetashvatara upanishad these four are very very important apart from these there are plenty of upanishads available but all the wisdom of these upanishads can as well be taken as well be implied by these 10 or 14 upanishads which are too well known and too important of these upanishads some belong to the rig some others to the yajus and some other to the samana and atharvedan respectively we shall know about them aitreya upanishad belongs to rigveda while yajurveda has many number of upanishads the school of krishna yajurveda has katha upanishad taittiriya upanishad and then the school of shukla yajurveda has ishavasya upanishad and then bradaranyaka upanishad samveda has the kena upanishad atharveda has mundaka mandukya and prashna upanishads totally we have 10 main upanishads belonging to all the four vedas while the other upanishads mahanarayana upanishad and shvetashvara upanishad belong to taittiriya yajurveda while the maitrayani upanishad belongs to shukla yajurveda and kaushitiki upanishad belongs to rigveda and thus we have totally the four vedas divided into four branches each 
and many number of samhitas brahmanas aranyakas and upanishads it's a very big volume of literature though the available literature is small when compared to what it was during the time of patanjali or panini we have sufficiently great amount of literature both in quality and quantity we should be justly proud of but there is no meaning in mere pride without knowledge we should know it and practice friends continuing our series of sources of ancient indian history today we will be dealing with literary sources you must have heard of ancient literature like rigveda garud puran sutapitak panbhatas harsharitra they all are examples of literary sources literary sources are divided into two categories religious and non religious texts like rigveda or all the vedas and purans dharma shastras tripitakas fall under the category of religious literature because these all texts are considered to be the sacred texts and on the other hand panini's astadhyayi patanjali's mahabhasya they all fall under the category of non religious literature religious literature is further divided into four categories vedic buddhist jaina and sangam while on the other hand non religious literature has been divided into three categories social economical and political in this video we will be dealing with religious literature a lot in detail and particularly with vedic literature now let's study about vedas and try to understand what they were what has been written in them and what kind of historical information do they provide us with the vedas are the spiritual literature of the ancient indian culture written in sanskrit language sanskrit belongs to the indo-european family of languages and what kind of information do vedas provide us vedas provide us with materialistic religious and spiritual knowledge vedas were the texts preserved and transmitted by a section of brahman males and they reflect their religious beliefs practices and point of views as a source of history these texts are used for information about life in part of northwestern and northern india during second and first millennia bce vedas there are four vedas rigveda yajurveda samaveda and atharvaveda we will deal with each of them one by one what does the word veda exactly means the word veda has been derived from the word ved and means knowledge the literal meaning of ved is to know that's why the vedas are considered to be the eternal source of knowledge in hindu tradition vedas have the status of shruti and why do they have this status because vedas have been verbally transmitted from one generation to another for centuries here i would like to explain one more thing to you that vedic literature is basically divided into two categories shruti and smriti the literal meaning of word shruti is that which has been heard and literal meaning of word smriti is remembered vedas fall under the category of shruti literature 
while the texts like vedangas purans epics dharma shastras and niti shastras they all fall under the category of smriti literature in hinduism it is believed that vedas were self existent truth which was realized by rishis in the state of meditation it is believed in hindu tradition that vedas were revealed to rishis by gods themselves each veda is divided into four parts samhita brahmana aranakya and upanishads now coming to rigveda it is the oldest text in any indo-european language rigveda is also known as first testament of mankind it is organized into 10 books called mandals rigveda samhita is a collection of 1028 hymns and 10600 verses please remember that hymns are also known as shuktas Rigveda contains the world's oldest surviving poetry. It has been written in poetic format. The first and tenth mandals of the Rigveda are the youngest and longest books, while second to seventh mandals are the oldest part of Rigveda, and they are the shortest also. Six mandals of Rigveda from second to seventh are called Gotra or Vamesha mandals. and they are also known as kul grantha now what does rigveda contains rigveda contains numerous secrets and clarification about the origin of the world and the importance of the god and a lot of advice for living a satisfying and successful life now here are some notable facts about mandals of rigveda The third mandal of Rigveda contains the Gayatri mantra which is dedicated to goddess Gayatri or Saraswati for the preservation of universal cosmic order. The seventh mandal describes the battle of 10 kings in which king Sudas of Bharata tribe won. The ninth mandal is completely dedicated to Soma sacrifice and the tenth mandal contains the Purusha Shukta which explains four varna Pramana, Chhatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra. It is said that the four varnas were born from the mouth, arms, thighs, and feet of Brahma or Purusha. Hymns of the Rig Veda were recited by Hotri. Hotri was the Brahmin who used to recite the hymns of Rig Veda. Indra is the chief deity cited in. Rigveda most of the hymns of Rigveda are dedicated to Indra himself the only surviving recension of Rigveda is Shakala Shaka and the brahmanas attached to Rigveda are Atriya and Kaushiki Brahmana the first word of the Rigveda is Agni and the very first hymn of Rigveda is addressed to Agni the words like Bharat Varsha and jambudvipa also finds mention in rigveda the upaved associated with rigveda is ayurved now let's discuss some more points about ayurveda ayurveda is related to the science of medicines dhanvantri is said to be the originator of ayurveda who dhanvantri is said to be the originator of ayurveda At present, there are three important books of Ayurveda, which are Charak Samhita, Sushrut Samhita, and Vagbhat Samhita. 
collectively these three books are called Brihatritya. Patanjali has also co-authored text on Ayurveda. I have tried to summarize what is there in each mandala in this table and it is just factual information so you can go through this slide once and read it. What remains to be explained is that the uh, tenth mandala also consisted of Nadistuti Shukta, Grey Rituals and Nasadiya Shuktas. Let's discuss each of them one by one. Nadisuti Shukta contains the praises of rivers and it is important for reconstruction of geography of Vedic civilization. Now coming to Nasadiya Shukta, 10th Mandal also contains Nasadiya Shukta which deals with multiple speculations about the creation of universe and whether anyone can know the right answer or not. Kriya Rituals Grey rituals contain the marriage hymns and death hymns which are still of great importance. In this picture you can see a manuscript page of Rig Veda. Now coming to Sama Veda. The word Sama means melodies. It is the Veda of melodies and chants. What does Sama Veda contains? It contains the rhythmic compilation of hymns of Rig Veda. Samaved is considered as the root of Indian classical music and dance. It contains 1810 verses. Most of them are borrowed from Rig Veda. Samaved also contains Drupad Raga and it is also the base of Sangeet Shastra. Samaved is categorized into two parts. Part first includes melodies which are known as ganas. And part second includes three verses books called Archikas. Part first of Samaveda includes Ganas and part second of Samaveda includes three books called Archikas. The Brahman who used to recite the hymns of Samaveda was known as Udgatri. And there are three recensions of Samaved which are Kautuma, Ranaina and Jaminya. Jaminya is also known as Talvakara. Brahmanas attached to Samaveda are Panchivisha, Sadvinj, Chandogya and Jaminya. And Gandharva Veda is the Upaveda associated with Samaveda. Now what is Gandharva Veda? Gandharva Veda is a technical treatise on music, dance and drama. It is also known as Natya Shastra. Samaveda was written in Vedic Sanskrit language. It exists in many scripts. In this picture you can see two manuscripts of Samaved. Above one is Devanagari script and below is Grantha. Now coming to Yajurveda. Yajur means sacrificial formula and Yajurveda is the book of sacrificial prayers. What does it deal with? It deals with the details of performance of rituals. It was basically the manuals of Ardhvaryus or we can say that the Brahman who used to recite the hymns of Yajurveda was known as Ardhvaryu. Yajurveda has two types. One is Krishna Yajurveda and second is Shukla Yajurveda. Krishna Yajurveda is also known as Black or Dark Yajurveda while Shukla Yajurveda is also known as White or Bright Yajurveda. 
the main difference between the text of two schools is that the samhitas of white school contains only the mantras while in the text of black school the mantras are accompanied by a commentary describing and discussing various aspects of sacrificial rituals it means that the samhita of shukla school only had mantras written in it while the samhita of krishna school had mantras as well as commentary describing the various aspects of sacrificial rituals written in it the other difference between the two yajurvedas is that the recensions of shukla are mandhyandina and kanva while the recensions of black school are kapisthala maitriyani and tetriya recension one another difference between the two school is krishna yajurveda has an unarranged unclear collection of verses while shukla yajurveda has arranged and clear verses the brahmana attached to yajurveda are satapatha and tretya let's discuss some more points about satapatha brahmana satapatha brahmana means brahmana of 100 paths it is one of the largest brahmana text that has survived it includes encyclopedia of opinions on rituals and other matters royal ceremonies of rajasuya and ashwamedha are mentioned for the first time in this veda dhanurveda is the upaveda associated with yajurveda let's discuss some more point about dhanurveda dhanurveda explains spiritual sciences like purusharth duties deeds and also material sciences like civil and military defense and also war and politics the yajurveda has six primary upanishads embedded within it which are brihadarnakya upanishad isha upanishad taitriya upanishad katha upanishad shvetashvara upanishad maitreya upanishad and shrota sutras in this picture you can see a page from vajaseni samhita found in shukla yajurveda it has been written in sanskrit language and devanagari script now atharvaveda for a very long time atharvaveda was not even considered as a veda why so because it was the work of non aryans atharvaveda was mainly composed by two group of rishis known as atharvanas and the angiras hence the oldest name of atharvaveda is atharvangirasa what does atharvaveda contain this veda contains magic spells spells to invoke evil spirits hymns and some traditional methods of healing people this veda is completely different from the other three vedas and is chronologically the last of four this is the latest veda and contains hymns but also spells and charms which reflects various aspects of popular beliefs and practices shanaka and paipalada are recensions of atharvaveda the brahmana attached is kopatha there are three upanishads associated with atharvaveda prashna mundaka and mandukya satyamev jayate has also been derived from mundak upanishad other positive contributions of atharvaveda are rekha ganit which is geometry ank ganit which is arithmetic and astronomy 
प्लीज रिमेंबर दैट नो अरनक्या हैज बीन अपेंडेड टू अथर्वेदा एंड शिल्पवेद इज द उपवेद एसोसिएटेड विद अथर्वेद व्हाट इज शिल्पवेद शिल्पवेद डील्स विद आर्किटेक्चर एंड वेरियस आर्ट्स इन दिस पिक्चर यू कैन सी अ पेज फ्रॉम अथर्वेदा नाउ लेट्स डिस्कस सम प्रीवियस ईयर क्वेश्चंस विद We all know that Shiva is having Trishul in his hands. When I made my first video on Shiva, I wasn't sure whether in the times of Shiva, man knew smelting. Hence, I expressed my view that Trishul could also be a small branch of tree used almost like a walking stick to traverse the mountain landscape. Even though I was aware that mountain dwellers were hunter-gatherers, I could not think that Shiva himself was involved in hunting. That's the mental block of a typical Hindu. albeit an agnostic hindu which i was before discipling on sivaham but after i decoded kala bhairavar i realized that shiva himself was a hunter it naturally follows that trishul should have originally been a hunting too there is a general consensus that man learned making metallic tools before he came down to conquer the forest land on the ground as there are not many caves on the ground he had to build his own house and he could not have achieved it without the help of metallic tools Hence there is a great possibility that man developed metallic tools before he climbed down from mountains to live in the forest hence there is a great possibility that trishul was indeed made of metal and that mountain people knew smelting in tamil the word vedial means chemistry this proves that vedam should have meant science according to tamils as shiva was a siddha it was very likely that he preached science and as there wasn't a technical word for science in those times they had to coin a word Obviously Vedam was an ancient word for science and we shall see later how the word came to refer to science as he was musing in these directions i gave the hint in the kalabairor video that i would soon publish a video on the etymology of rukveda the time has come now and we shall decipher the etymology of not only rukveda but all the four vedas and find out what they actually represent tamil language is like a time capsule it retains the history of mankind in its words We are going to see another manifestation of this great truth through this video. Tamil is the inevitable key to unlock the safe holding the true history of mankind. In this video, we are going to establish that it was Shiva who preached Vedam. Vedam means science. The four Vedas contain four different disciplines of science. The four Vedas are Rug, Yajur, Sama, Atharva. We know that Rigveda was the first Veda and hence we shall decode it first i had already said that man should have mastered smelting in the kreta yuga that is the period that he lived on the mountains smelting is called uruk in tamil uruk deformed to ruk and finally to ruk which some people call it as rig uruk ruk ruk rig hence rukveda should have originally contained scientific and technological information on smelting The foregoing discussion supports this surmise. Tamil was the first language of Homo sapiens. Every Tamil word should have a meaning. The word uruk itself should have evolved out of two words called uru and ak. Uru plus ak uruvak uruk. Uru means new shape or form and ak means cook. Hence uruvak actually means obtaining a new form through heating. As man created new metals by this way This word took a larger meaning of creating anything new not necessarily by heating obviously the word uruvaku means create in tamil 
However, Uruaku gave rise to the new word Uruku to refer to the process of melting by heating. Hence, Uruku means melting. Smelting is a process which extracts metal from its ore. Extraction happens because of separation, that is, splitting the compound form of metal to its elemental states and separating them using heat and other additives as it might be necessary. Obviously, the process of splitting occurs in smelting. Vedan, as discussed in Kala Bairur video, means the hunter who splits his prey. As Vedan means the splitter, Vedam means the process of splitting. Hence, the original meaning of Vedam was splitting, separating, dividing, etc. Hence, Urukvedam means splitting by melting. In Tamil, Urukvedam means Uriki Pirithal. Uriki means by melting, Pirithal means separation. In fact, surprisingly, the word smelting originated from the phrase splitting by melting. Splitting by melting is equal to smelting. This English etymology further proves that Rukvedam means the science of smelting. It is interesting to note that the English word melt originated from mel meaning soften of Tamil. The English word split originated from Tamil word pila meaning split in Tamil. Pila, spila, split. I had inferred that Vedam means splitting in the foregoing discussion as it was a process carried out by the Vedan, the hunter. However, I would prove that Vedam means splitting through independent and surprising evidence in the course of this video. Kindly await this unusual surprise. Whatever I thought intuitively, I am able to establish conclusively through corroborative Hence, I am myself amazed on the wholesome phenomenon called Tamil. Even though the word Uruku meant melting in Rukveda times, it assumed a further and larger meaning in the course of time as extracting metal from wood. When this happened, the word Vedam, which stood for splitting during Rukveda times, started to mean science as the word Uruk itself became a wholesome word for smelting, which involves melting and separating. That is how Vedam came to be understood as a general word for science in the course of time. Everything is falling in place. Hence, Rukveda should have handled scientific information on smelting of ores. Metal is extracted from ore through smelting, which splits the ore by heating. It would be interesting to know that the word ore means joined or compounded in Tamil. Obviously, we have to split it to get back metal. We shall discuss this further at the end of this video part when I present proof from Slovakian language too for the meaning of Ruk Vedam. I would now take up Atharva Veda. We know that Shiva is having a drum in his hand. We know that Shiva was a hunter and that he is wearing tiger skin as his waist cover. We also know that drums were made using animal skins. Obviously, Shiva should have created or improved the percussion sound equipment. He should have done research on the variety of animal skins, on their sound property, and the variety of house materials on which the skins were wrapped. Rhythm concept should have developed during Shiva's times, but melody did not. Melody requires continuous or semi-continuous variation of frequency, which we cannot make with the percussion equipment. But distinct different sounds from different percussion equipment would help make good rhythms. Shiva should have documented all this info. The document should have been named by a Tamil word. Vibration is called in Tamil as Adirvu. Hence, he should have named the document as Adirvu Vedam, that is, signs of vibrations. Adirvu Vedam deformed to Adarva Vedam. Here, the document means oral and poetic documents, which are passed on to all the succeeding generations through word of mouth by songs. I would establish that my interpretation of Adarva Vedam is correct 
through some Tamil-specific information here. The percussion equipment in the hand of Shiva is called Udukkai. However, Parai was the original, popular percussion equipment of Tamils. The word Parai deformed from its original called Varai, which means mountain range in Tamil. Varai deformed to Parai. Obviously, the word Parai means that it was developed in the mountains and hence it was named after the mountain range. I have properly deciphered the word Parai for the first time and it is an extraordinary information proving that it was developed during the times that man lived on the mountains. Shiva was a mountain man. Obviously, Shiva was involved in the creation of Parai and as said above, he should have documented the technology and called it Adurva Vedam, meaning signs of vibrations. The Pariyas who play Parai were branded as social outcasts by the Brahmins, but they were actually children of Shiva, and Shiva himself was a Parayan. These people were the most ancient people of Tamil Nadu, as mountain is the first abode of human in the first human yuga called the Kreta Yuga. Kreta Yuga means the period that man lived only on the mountain range. Kari, Kiri, Krita, Kreta. Arnyar Guna has expressed the view that Parai means ancient, inferring from the term parampara, that is parampare, and hence opined that parir means ancient people. I am now establishing concretely through this video that pari originated on the mountains and also the word parayers deformed from its original called warriors, which meant people of the mountains. Unexpectedly, through this video on Veda, we have established the historical fact about parayers, which was eluding so far. Parayers were called so as they belonged to the mountains and not because they play Parai. Parampari is a term to mean our most ancient ancestors in Tamil. We shall have a closer look at this word to extract more info. Paran plus Parai, Paramparai. Here, Paran means ancient male and Parai means ancient female. Incidentally, the word Paran also means a high living place or even an attic. This is so because Paran also deformed from its original called Varan, which meant man of the mountain range. Var or Varai both mean mountain range and var n means belonging to the mountain range. Varan deformed to Paran. Hence, the word Parampare refers to the most ancient people of both the genders. The most ancient people lived on the mountains and there is no wonder that this term means ancient elders. There are actually seven layers of generations in sequential order as shown in the slide. Paran, Parai, Seyon, Seyol, Ottan, Otti, Putan, Putti, Patan, Pati, Tandai, Thai, Kanavan, Manavi. Most ancient generation is the top and the present generation is the bottom. I would return from this digression with a few more words on this subject. This from mountains a few thousand years ago to northern Tamil Nadu to engage in agricultural activities. But as of now, I am not sure when exactly they migrated and the situation that forced them to migrate. Further research is required to throw light on this subject. I would digress a little more to discuss one more aspect of Parai. Vedam was also called Marai in Tamil. The four Vedas were called Nangu plus Marai, Nan Marai. Nangu means four. The word Marai deformed from Parai. The words starting with sounds P or M mutually deform to one another like Muller becoming Pallar 
or Mumbai becoming Bombay, etc. As Vedam evolved in the mountains, it was called as Varai originally, which deformed to Marai. Varai, Parai, Marai. Shiva trained a group of students as scientists through his Gurukula education. Hence, the section of mountain society who practiced various streams of science was called Marayar. We have come full circle and established that Adharva Vedam actually means Adharva Vedam and it is nothing but the science of vibrations. I would make an exclusive video on the evolution of music and various types of musical instruments and their period of development later. We shall now consider Yajur Vedam. The word Yajur means southern king and we shall see how. The word Aras, which means king or kingdom, would deform to Asura and Asura would deform to Sura, that is Sur. Hence, Ya plus Sur, Yasur, Yajur. Ya means south and Sur means king and hence Yasur or Yajur means southern king, otherwise called as Dakshina Murti and hence it means Shiva. Hence, Shiva Veda, called as Yajur Veda, should have handled a variety of miscellaneous sciences other than the ones handled by Ruk, Sama and Adharva Veda. And that is why it should have been called generally as Shiva Veda. Hence, Yajur Veda is the miscellaneous Veda preached by Shiva. The term Yajur Veda has revealed the deeper secret that it was Shiva who preached Vedam, not the Aryans as claimed by the Brahmins. Tamil words have the key to history. We shall now take up Sama Veda. We have to understand first what Sama means. There are many shirts of meaning for the word Sama. Actually, the word Samam evolved from Yamam. Yamam, Samam. Yamam is the time between 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Hence, Samam should have actually meant middle of the night. Hence, it shall be likely that Samaveda meant science of astronomy. This is one possibility. The other possibility is Samam also stands for time. Mun Samam, Pin Samam or Artha Samam are the words describing evening, morning or midnight respectively. The word Samam deformed to give a word called Samayam which means time. Hence, Samavedam shall mean science of time. This is yet another interpretation. Samai is serial grown originally on the mountains. And Samaveda shall also mean science of plant growth. This is the third interpretation. The word Sama appears in yet another phrase. Sama, Dana, Beda and Danda. This phrase describes the sequential method of approach in solving human problems and struggles. Samam. Samam is the first approach in solving human problems. Consoling by agreeing to the complaints, thus sympathizing with the party concerned is the first approach. The consoling Tamil word which expresses agreement is Amam. Just listen to the way we console. Ama, Ama, Sari, Sari, Ama, Ama. You got it now? This Ama deformed to Sama and that's how the word Sama evolved. We shall also consider the other three methods as it is very much relevant here. Dhanam. Following agreement to complaints, we appease the suffering people by donating material goods as a second step in problem solving. Dhanam means donation. Bedam. If the first two approaches fail to convince the belligerent people and the problem eludes solution, the next step is to develop division among the problematic people so that there is confusion in the ranks and they would end up quarreling among themselves and forget the original problem itself. Thus, splitting or dividing the problematic people forms the third method and is called Vedam. The word Vedam deformed from its original form called Vedam. Vedam deforms to Vedam. We have seen already that Vedam means the process of splitting and this is very much confirmed by the word Vedam which means causing division here. 
This confirmation has come from a very ancient saying related to problem-solving methodology of human problems. This again proves that Rukvedam is absolutely correct term, which simply means splitting by melting in Tamil. Dandam. If all the three previous methods fail, we have to engage in war to punish the offenders to settle dispute. This is the last resort. Dandu means stem of a plant which is used to punish offenders by beating with it. From Dandu came the Tamil word Dandani. Dandu plus Anai, Dandani. Dandani means embracing using Dandu, meaning the purpose of Dandani originates from love. Reforming loved ones by gentle use of force is called Dandani. Hence, death penalty cannot be called as Marna Dandani. It should be correctly termed as Marna Dandam. Ama, Dana, Veda, Danda became Sama, Beda, Danda in the course of time. The fact that this ancient political methodology uses the word Bedam, that is Vedam, as one of the four methods, I am inclined to think that this problem-solving methodology should have been developed by Shiva and hence Sama Veda should have meant political science. Shiva is called Adi Nadan and Nadan means leader and hence it is very likely that he being the leader of a large group of people would have developed this problem-solving technique to successfully rule over his people. I have given four possible interpretations of Sama Veda. Which is the correct one? I would prove that political science is the correct meaning of Sama Veda using the Slovakian connection at the end of this video part. Hence, I have established that four Veda were actually sciences using etymology of the very names of Veda and corroborating with relevant historical and traditional information on Siva. Vedam originally meant splitting during Rukveda times and it meant science in the course of time. Does the fact that Vedam means science could be established positively from other sources of information? Yes, very much. Uh, this is the interesting part of it. After I published my video, Amazing Historical Facts on Kala Bhairava, corrected version, Mr. Mark Zelam of Slovakia contacted me through email. He was astonished by the fact that Vedam came from the word Vedan, which I hypothesized in that video. He told me that Veda means science in Slovakian language. I was pleasantly surprised and happy that my discovery that Vedam means science has been established through completely a new and unexpected source. I mailed him back confirming that Veda means science, citing the Tamil word Vedial as reference. I then wrote to him about the four Veda being different sciences as described in this video. I wrote to him that Rukveda means science of smelting. Astonishingly, he responded back saying that in Slovak, Veda Rud means science of wars. I was really stunned and my happiness had no bound. Tamil, Rukveda is equal to science of smelting. Slovak, Veda Rud is equal to science of wars. It sounds very obvious as smelting and war are tightly connected words. Let me digress here to establish the wholesome beauty of the subject that I am discussing here. War is a Tamil word which means united or combined. It originated from Tamil root word wal, which means join. For instance, Olympics is a game played jointly by a number of countries. The wal in Olympics signifies joint activity. Likewise, warai is another word which evolved from the root wal. In fact, as I have already explained in the startling facts on Orion constellation video, the star constellation which depicts Shiva is called Orion and it means the possessor of warai. Ori means joining of stars to form a beautiful figure. Likewise, or means joined or combined elements in Tamil. Or is actually a compound of metal and non-metal, that is, joined form of a metal and non-metal. For instance, 
Magnetite is a ore which has a chemical formula Fe3O4 and hematite is a ore which has chemical formula Fe2O3 which are the typical combined form of metal iron with non-metal oxygen. Obviously, we have to split this ore to recover iron metal. We melt it to split it and take away oxygen as carbon dioxide using coke as additive. Obviously, Rukvedam means splitting by melting. I have not only established that Vedam means science, but also established that Rukvedam means science of smelting using Tamil and Slovakian connection. Not only that, my friendship with the Slovak Marek Zellam has helped me to identify the correct meaning of Sama Veda out of the four possibilities that I discussed already. He wrote to me that Samo Vleda means autocracy and Vleda means government. From what he wrote to me, it is obvious that Sama Veda, which meant political science in Tamil, deformed in Slovak as Samo Vleda to mean autocracy. And autocracy means monarchy. Shiva was a king and hence Sama Veda should have meant political science only. This is an extraordinary proof coming from a land far away from Tamil land. To prove that it is not just a coincidence, he wrote to me that they should have practiced Asivakam long ago as there are words in Slovak which are connected to Asivakam. Mr. Marek Zalam told me that Kali, Kalan, Lachumi, Lakomi and Saraswati, Velikani are very much in use in the current society with the same meaning even though they were forcibly converted to Christianity long ago. He says that historian Dr. Cyril Ronmik of Slovakia had written a book on the connection between Slovak and Tamil. My thesis on Vedas stands scrutinized on its own. However, I have provided supporting evidence from a culture far away from Tamil culture. This is because Isa was the common ancestor god of the entire humanity and because the humanity separated into different races only after the deluge, which is about 11,000 years ago. Hence, not only Slovakian culture, but every ancient culture should have supporting evidence for my thesis on Vedas. For instance, I feel that Enoch of Jewish culture was Isa and the book of Enoch should have some material related to Vedas. I solicit esteemed comments from viewers of all ancient cultures of the world. Veda comes from the root sound Vid, which literally means to know or to understand. This is the root sound from which words like Vidya, which means learning, and Vidwan and Vidushi, which mean a learned man and a learned woman, come from. The literal meaning of the word Veda is just knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of anything and everything in existence. This is the context in which it is said, Ananta Vai Vedaha, which means the systems of knowledge are infinite. But we all have heard that there are four Vedas, each of which have four components of their own. We might have also heard that there are six fields of study to understand these four components of the Vedas called as Vedangas. If the Vedas are anantaha or infinite, how did this classification come about? How many such components of study actually exist? And how to go about exploring each of them systematically? We'll explore all these topics in this video. The Sanskrit channel is an effort to explore a vast variety of topics from original Sanskrit literature. If you wish to support this effort, consider becoming a sponsor on Patreon or make a one-time contribution through these options. Your support will help us create more of these videos more frequently on more number of topics. Do check out all the links in the description below. In the tradition of Sanatana Dharma, whenever somebody realized something of immense value in their lives, they did not immediately hide it and patent it. They sought others who are in the pursuit of that same knowledge to pass it on to them and establish a lineage to pursue that knowledge system further. 
This is called as Guru Shishya Parampara. All of such systems of knowledge could be classified into two different categories. Those which are thought up and created through human intellect and those that are perceived and realized by the human mind. The first category includes knowledge systems like the creation and use of various tools of survival like hunting and farming tools, tools to enhance the external sense perceptions and methods to make life more secure and comfortable. It also includes knowledge systems like the rules of societal behavior and function, the responsibilities and duties between the individual components of a family, of a society and so on. And then there are knowledge systems which are existential, like how the creation came about, how life functions within the human body and outside it, the relationship between creatures and the forces of creation, the purpose and possibilities that this relationship comes with, and so on. While the first kind of knowledge systems are subject to change with the times one lives in and the society around, the second kind of knowledge systems stay valid and true, irrespective of societal structures and needs of the time. This is knowledge which is not a product of the human mind. We might perceive it and put it to use, but it is not a product of human thought and imagination. This is the context in which these systems of knowledge are called as apaurusheyas or not man-made. The son of sage Parashara called Krishna Dvaipayana took all these apaurusheyas and classified them into four broad groups. The first of them is called as Rigveda. It is a compilation of various hymns, each of which is called as Rig, which means descriptive words of praise. The hymns of Rigveda describe and praise the properties of various natural elements around us, giving them personified forms of Agni, Indra, Varuna, Mitra, Soma and so on. The second classification is called as Yajurveda, where the word Yajus literally means a practice or a ritual. This Veda is a realization of the power of performing rituals. It contains instructions as to how to perform various kinds of rituals which are conducive for specific aspects of human well-being. In terms of textual content, it shares a lot of hymns in common with the Rig Veda. The third classification is called as the Sama Veda, where the word Saman literally means a gentle song. This Veda is a realization of the power of musical notes. It delves into the utterance of specific chants to a set tune. This Veda is seen as the origin for the field of Sangeeta or music in Sanatana Dharma. This Veda too shares a lot of common text with the Rig Veda, but in a more practical context of chanting it as a song. The fourth and the final categorization called as Atharva Veda has a lot of content which is unique from the rest of the three, but the realizations contained within it as perceived by Sage Atharvan are still apaurusheya or not made up in the human mind. This Veda deals with the knowledge of handling life at a more physical level of existence, how to deal with various kinds of discomforts and diseases, what is considered as wealth in human life, how to acquire, consume and disseminate it, and so on. Because of this mammoth task of understanding all the apaurusheyas and then classifying them into four distinct categories, Krishna Dvaipayana is famously known by the name of Veda Vyasa, the one who described the Vedas. Every year, the brightest full moon night, called as Guru Purnima, is also remembered by the name of Vyasa Purnima in his memory. Let us now go one level deeper to understand the components of each Veda. All the four Vedas can be thought of as having four sections called Samhita, a compilation of all the realized hymns, Brahmana, explanation of how to put them to practical use, Aranyaka, various internal observances one can follow, and Upanishad, 
footnotes which capture the entire essence of the Veda. Each of these four components are meant to be used in each of the four stages of human life called as ashramas. Samhita section is the object of focus for someone in Brahmacharya ashrama or during the stage of educational upbringing. Brahmana section is of use to someone in Grihastha ashrama to put whatever has been learnt in Samhita to practical use. Aranyaka section is supposed to be put to practice during Vanaprastha ashrama or during one's withdrawal away from the society into a secluded area for spiritual pursuits. And finally, the Upanishad section is said to be of practical use during Sanyasa ashrama where one renounces the worldly pursuits in search for the absolute truth of creation. The first two sections are called as Karma Khanda or the segment of action and the second two sections are called as Jnana Khanda or the segment of knowledge. There were many other sages after Veda Vyasa who explained the concepts of these four Vedas and each of their four components further, resulting in a lot of branching up of these knowledge systems into various shakhas or branches. There are many many subdivisions of Samhitas, Brahmanas, Aranyakas and Upanishads named after the sages who explored them uniquely. Each Veda is also ascribed with an Upaveda or a subsystem of knowledge which is born out of the revelations contained within the Veda. Ayurveda, the study of Ayuhu or life itself, is ascribed to Rigveda. Dhanurveda, the study of archery and warfare, is ascribed to Yajurveda. Gandharva Veda, the study of aesthetics, music and dance, is ascribed to Samaveda. And Arthashastra, the study of the pursuit of wealth and prosperity, is ascribed to Atharva Veda. Sometimes people refer to a text of immense importance as the fifth Veda, Sage Vyasa's Mahabharatam, Ramcharitmanas by Goswami Tulsidas, and Natya Shastra by Bharatamuni are among the works which are often referred to as the fifth Veda, indicating their importance. Finally, various tools and methodologies to understand the knowledge of the Vedas have been authored by many sages. They are named as Vedangas and are classified under six categories called as Shiksha, the study of phonetic aspects and accents of the Vedic chants, Kalpa, the study of practices and proper application of these chants in rituals, Vyakarana, the study of grammatical rules, Nirukta, the study of intuitive etymology of Sanskrit words, Chanda, the study of poetic meter, and Jyotisha, the study of light, particularly the light from celestial objects, which can be roughly correlated with today's astrology. The website vedicheritage.gov.in has an extensive repository of text, audio, and video resources pertaining to some of the Vedas, their shakhas, the Upavedas, and Vedangas. If you wish to do a deep dive into the study of these topics, definitely check this website out. To sum it all up, the knowledge of the Vedas and the tools to understand their essence are highly varied and branched out. It is a pursuit of a lifetime to study the meanings encoded in them and even more so to internalize their meanings and realize them at an experiential level. This is the main reason why the traditional Gurukul systems prioritize memorization before the analysis of meaning. Because even if the meanings of the Vedas could be understood at a textual level, the real benefit happens only when their true essence dawns upon the sadhaka's mind as experiential truth. I hope you enjoyed watching this video and found this information useful. Share it across with those whom you think might benefit from this. If you wish to support the production of more videos like these, consider becoming a sponsor on Patreon or make a one-time contribution all through the links in the description below. Also, consider clicking on the subscribe button and the bell icon beside it 
so that you are immediately notified of our latest updates. See you in the next video. Namaskaram.